Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy! Oi, oi, oi! Welcome back to another episode of Faking Injuries. It's summertime. We've touched a little bit on our quest for things to fill our days, soccer-related. There's not as many games going on in the summer. Obviously, we have some international matches going on, but we want to use the summer to go into some of the other pockets of the game. The game always has so much to offer, and so whether it's through reading books, videos we come across, etc., There's a lot of interesting little niche areas to learn about, and we're going to do our first installment in what's going to be a series of one-offs, things we've learned about the game. Tell the listeners a little bit more about what we're going to get into specifically today. Like we've said before, we're Americans. We're still learning the beautiful game, so we want to take you guys along for the ride as we dive down these rabbit holes, explore niche areas within the game, and we're missing our soccer, but... I think this will be a fun way to fill our time next couple months until we really get back into the swing of things. Yeah, we got to hit the books. You know, everyone's away. They're on holiday, whether it be Greece, the south coast of Portugal. Ibiza. Ibiza. (laughs) (laughs) But the real champions, like Kobe, Ronaldo, the OGs, when everyone is away on a beach with the beer can in hand, that's when they hit the film room. And those are the standards that we're going to hold ourselves to this summer. Upward and onward for faking injuries. Our future is going to be made in the books and in the chat rooms. Absolutely. So today we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive into the legal side of the game. The contracts, the agents, the lawyers, the players. And this was really inspired by one book, Done Deal by Daniel Gee, a football lawyer who really went in-depth in this book It's basically a a football contracts for dummies. We knew nothing about this going in, but slowly but surely learning more about how the bonus structures work, certain incentives in the contracts, clauses that they have to implement for certain players. A lot of really unique stuff goes on around a transfer. It's way more complex than it looks at first sight when you see this player sold for 40 mil, because that 40 mil has about 50 different contingencies to get (laughs) to that number. So always cool to hear more about it, especially from a guy who knows a lot about the law side of it. So we're going to jump in. We're going to talk about some clauses, some cool stuff we thought was you know, worthwhile to talk about from the book, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, well said. The author of this one, Daniel Gee, came across him about a year ago. After reading the book and just following him on Twitter and YouTube, he's just a good dude, too. He's had his experience kind of going from non-sport law, in my understanding, to moving over to the nitty gritty of transfer negotiations. And so it's really cool. He shares pretty much anything he knows about the legalese aspect, but also just about networking in the space, what it's really like, and it all comes back to relationships and sorts. So shout out Daniel Gee, great book, and let's get into it. So in today's episode, we're going to run through some of the interesting clauses that we found And then touch on some of the more interesting, exotic examples of clauses and players' contracts. And you know here at Faking Injuries, we're always prone to rants and tangents. So it would be doing a disservice to our blossoming audience not to go on some tangents, some clauses that we think might need to go in contracts moving forward. So I'll pass it to you. Let's talk about a few of the common clauses that 
Guy goes into more detail on. A few of the most common ones are a release clause or a relegation clause. So a release clause in the context of Spanish football, every single player has a release clause in La Liga. It's like mandatory by the league. Other leagues, not required. It's basically a, a price set for a player, usually way in excess of what they paid for the player, that if any club decides to match that clause, then they have to automatically sell him. Like, they, they have no choice. If, if the release clause is 50 mil and a club is willing to pay 50 mil, they have to accept it. In the context of La Liga, like you said, everyone has a release clause. So there is a price tag for every single player in the league. Barcelona is kind of notorious for the release clause they place on their players. Like if it's a young, promising player for their academy and his first contract coming from the academy into the first team, you know the terms are just going to be as greedy as those terms Andrew Carnegie used in the Pennsylvania Steel Mill, you know? Like they are very pro-club terms. And so it's a five-year deal, pretty low wages, and despite having never played a first team minute, your release clause is going to be set at 80 million pounds. You know, 80 million euros, maybe 150 if you're extra promising. And for a truly established star in the squad like Pedri, it's at around a billion. I think it's like 800 million or something. So they just never want anyone to be able to buy him outright without them having a say. So it's a cool clause that's in a lot of players' contracts. If you're trying to visualize this, just think of the Borat. You'll never have. <laughs> That's what Barcelona is saying when they price an individual player at a billion, you know? We thought 220 million was a lot for Neymar, but a billion, that would be truly earth-shattering. So the case we just talked about was where the club has more power, and so they're really trying to price out any potential bidders. Essentially, they're trying to deter their interests, saying... He's not for sale, essentially. But other times, when a player has a lot of power, maybe a team really wants them to renew a contract instead of running it down, and potentially the team could lose them for nothing. In that instance, a player would re-sign a contract and say, maybe a release clause accrues well under their market value that activates in two years from now. Like Erling Holland, when he went from Salzburg to Dortmund, he had a whole list of suitors that all wanted him, but he kind of took the right step up and with the help of Mino Raiola as agent, they negotiated a release clause that was well below his market value. Right. It was 60 mil, like two years from the time he signed the contract, where he knew he would have pretty much any club he wanted out there to sign him. And Dortmund was the right stepping stone to, you know, Ply's trade in the Bundesliga, great at developing young talent there, get your experience, get some goals. And then 60 mil release clause this coming up this summer. He had choice of any club he wanted, Manchester City, Liverpool, Real Madrid, ended up going with Manchester City, but he gave himself the power to make that choice, right? Yeah, like he signed a four-year deal, but the economic substance of the contract was such that he was giving himself very favorable terms to become a free agent in two years. And so all those teams that want him then want him. Any other rich club wants him now. He can choose whoever he wants to deposit that $60 million in Dortmund's bank account. And one other point on this, what do you think his market value would be on the open market? Conservatively, 150 plus, you know? Conservatively, 150, but realistically, Mbappe money, like 200. Realistically, he's that transcendent of a player. And so when he settles on the club he wants that only has to pay 60, that means the rest of that 100 or 130 is going to him and his contract and his agent and their wages. It really is the dream deal for a star player. 
rather than having your selling club hoard all of your value, the more you can bring those gold coins back in your court, it's a no-brainer. Like He is just going to be, after LeBron, who became a billionaire recently, it's going to be Erling Holland. Yeah, and on the flip side of it, you don't have that flexibility unless you're running down a contract and you're going to become a free agent or you have a release clause because otherwise even if you're a super valuable player and you can make certain demands it's not like you can choose any club to go to they kind of got to be like look these are the only teams that are offering us good enough money for you so that's why we're going to see more and more of a trend of players putting favorable release clauses in their contracts but also running down their contracts so they have a million options and can get paid a higher salary because the clubs that are buying them can forego the fee that perfectly encapsulate like one of my post-COVID macro football economic views, which is more players are going to run down their contracts to do just that. Like It really is a zero-sum game between you and the club you are at of capturing your value. So any amount that you can decrease the amount of money your new club has to pay, it's all going in your pockets. You know, Not all, so as to make it really worth it for the club you're going to, but... 70% at least, 80. Yeah, and with that, clubs are going to have to become smarter and sell at times where they used to not sell a certain star player. But like sometimes you got to cash in when you can and reinvest and restart a project, you know? And I think clubs will be a little smarter about timing their selling, never trying to have several guys running out contracts the same year that are crucial to the squad because it's going to be an issue for some of these big clubs that maybe have a manager people don't like or are on a downward trajectory, players are just going to run down their contracts and leave. So they got to be smarter about selling them at the right time and getting good money and not scoffing at any offer for like $50 million. Like Even if he's a star player, you got to consider all of them. Yeah, if that trend takes hold in a truly competitive environment, that would have to then bid down the prices that people are paying in the transfer market. Because if you're paying a bunch of money for a player with this assumption underlied in your model that they have such a good resale value. You know, you buy someone for 30 because you think you could, with a 50% chance, sell them for 60 or 80. If players continue to run down their contract and that resale value is essentially zero, like you're going to have to start paying less for these prospects up front because you reconfigure your assumption. Right. Absolutely. All right. I think we sufficiently covered release clauses and and contract lengths of players we did want to talk about relegation clauses a little bit because these are inserted in the contracts of pretty much every premier league club and i assume most of the clubs in europe but essentially if your team gets relegated from the first division to the second division your wages get cut by a certain amount because the team's revenues are getting cut significantly very common in the bottom half table of teams because there's a constant worry of them and some successfully do it right norwich are very good at letting their players know there's a very high likelihood we go back down this is what your wages will be when we go back down but players are, are buying into the project and they understand that's part of it right mm-hmm. the promotion relegation game it gets a little more dicey when a team like everton creeps down towards that because you know richarlison's not taking championship wages you know so that's when you see like a fire sale. It's when a team that really shouldn't be relegated gets relegated. All these salaries get reduced. But these aren't players who are willing to play on reduced salaries. The Norwich guys are. These guys are not. And then there's the combo hybrid release and relegation clause, which I imagine would be in Richarlison's contract. Because rest assured, 
If Everton has a poor season, he will claim zero responsibility of it. And one way or another, he's not going to be chilling with the boys in the second division. You know, he's getting out regardless. And so with this clause, it means if we get relegated, then a release clause vests or comes into effect that is usually well below market value. Another example of this is with Rafinha. If Leeds were to go down this season, I think his release clause was set at like 25 million pounds. He's someone on the open market that would go for at least 50 probably. It would have been bye-bye to Leeds. It's pretty interesting how these clauses and contracts work. It's all pretty complex, but Daniel Gee does a really good job breaking it down for us simpletons. I wanted to run through some of the most ridiculous clauses that were highlighted in the book and some that I researched after because there are a lot out there. A lot of player-specific ones centered around an event or an incident that happened or just like a weight clause, got to be under 8% body fat. It's a ridiculous game. So with that comes ridiculous contracts. Some of the clauses we just touched on, those are the common ones we see across players, no matter who it is, which position, just a common soccer contract clause. With some of these more exotic clauses, I like to think they address some idiosyncratic player risk. You know, for example, someone like me, if they got rich, made it to the big time, they would probably indulge in the best cuisine they could find very often, really thinking about their playing shape as secondary to their culinary experience in life. That actually leads me pretty well into the first clause I wanted to bring up, which was in South London, Crystal Palace. They had a weight clause for defender Neil Ruddock, just him. It wasn't like a team-wide. Some people have a team-wide under this body fat percentage clause. It was just for him. Because apparently if they didn't put it on him, he would turn up to training just fat as shit every single time. Yeah, I think the manager specifically insisted on it. I don't know if those two went way back and he knew, hey, this guy is a fatty. He is sneaking Snickers at every halftime. If you get a water break, bet your ass he stowed away some tea and crumpets somewhere on the sidelines. It was uh, Harry Redknapp was the manager, pretty famous manager. And this is kind of bold for him because he's on the chunkier side himself. So you would think he would have more sympathy for the kid. But the best part of the story is that apparently they imposed this clause after Neil missed his debut for Palace because they didn't have a pair of shorts that fit him. They didn't have a single pair of shorts he could get into. So then they instituted the clause that he had to lose weight. So are you saying this was an amendment to the original contract? I, I don't know if it was an amendment or if this happened at like a contract renewal date, but apparently he did not make his debut because they literally did not have shorts that fit him. So he must have had a big bunda. That's all I know. That means there must have been a point in time, 30, 60, 90 minutes before the game, where he, with all the other players, is getting dressed. And I mean, it's a big game for him. He's making his Crystal Palace debut. And there's a point in time where one leg is starting to go up, hits the thigh area, and he's doing the calculations like, I don't, I don't think this is going to go all the way. Maybe he fully got them on, looked in the mirror, like elbowed someone, said, hey, does this work? <laughs> Can I wear this? Is this suitable for Premier League television? <laughs> so sorry to go on a little tangent, but I like to think how these things must have looked at the most granular level. Like a hard decision was made that he wasn't going to be playing in those tight booty shorts. Yeah, there's a reason for all of these things. It's like when you look at your apartment lease and there's a super specific clause like no throwing cigarettes off your roof. Like, you know, there's a specific instance where 
Someone threw a cigarette off a roof and lit some shit on fire for that clause to be instituted in your lease contract. So there's always reasons. Personally, I'm all in for these type of clauses because as a sporting director, you got to hedge your risks where possible. It's kind of like how I imagine all of our legislation gets done. There's a core idea or element that someone really wants. And then there's, is it called barrel stuffing? Something like that where everyone else just kind of shoves their shit in there. And so if you're a football director... If you're giving someone a big move, you're making their dream, think about all the shit you can shove in there to hedge any risk you can think of. It's really like a, that must be one of the more fun parts of the job, you know? Just, it's very creative. You're thinking about my player, yes, he's 6'4", tips the scale at 280 pounds, Neil Ruddick. I just love it. And when we go and buy a team in the fourth division in Switzerland, these are the things we're going to be thinking of with each player we bring in. What clauses do we need to hedge their player-specific risk with. Yeah, let me run through a few more that I saw in the book and also online when I was doing some research on this. Neymar had a friends clause at Barcelona, which apparently is somewhat common with the world-class top talents of his level. But every two months, Barcelona and their finance department had to pay for an all-expenses trip, vacation, all of his friends from Brazil. He would ship over like 40 of them in first class to come party with him in Barcelona. And they had to pay for everything. And this happened every two months. You have to imagine this ended up being a pricey clause for them. Because <laughs> these Brazilians are running up a tab when they're out partying for the first time in Europe. This is the real reason Barcelona went broke. They had to pay $100 million every two months for his boys to come <laughs> in. But you can't blame Neymar. If you really make it, go to one of the biggest clubs in the world coming from such humble beginnings. I can respect and understand having an agreement with the boys like, hey, if one of us makes it out of here, makes it big time, all my dogs are going to eat. We're going to Ibiza. We'll go to a film festival, Greece, wherever. We're just, wherever we can run up the biggest tab, we're down for. Absolutely. I'm just waiting for one of us to make it big. I'm <laughs> it's you because I don't want to work that much. Another clause I loved. Name I'm going to absolutely butcher. Rolf Christel Gulamine. Is that one name? Two names. Was there a middle name in there? Two names. First name, last name, hyphen in each. Anyways, he played for Eintracht Frankfurt, and he asked the club to pay for his wife's cooking classes. Now, right off the bat, bad move as a husband. This is a really not subtle way to tell your wife you don't like her cooking, and I'm sure this was in earlier times, but a little sexist vibes with this uh, request. Nonetheless, they said yes, and from my perspective, working finance for a corporation, I'm just feeling... I'm feeling bad for the analysts who's typing this into their ledgers. Oh, we're losing 20K in expenses because this guy is asking us to pay for his wife's cooking classes every year. You just got to think the efficient Germans who got their MBAs and are now at a big club are not too excited that they have to deal with this. And I'm sure it's the first place you look when you're cutting costs as a CFO. What's easy hanging fruit that we can just chop off? Yeah, it kind of goes either way for me because if that player really is one of your stars and it's important to keep them firing on all cylinders it really becomes the decision like are the cooking classes directly contributing to good meals at home and a satisfied player i'm not sure how they tested this metric but if it ever came up for debate i think the executive should have like a gordon ramsay style judging competition where she cooks three plates one for the CEO, one for the technical director, one for the manager, and together they decide, you know, is it really worth it? 
are the classes converting over time? I like it. I, I think that's a good performance review to see if this expense is really paying off for them. So those are my three favorites that I kind of picked out. I think my favorite being the Neymar clause, because if I was a player, that's the first thing I'm inserting. All my dog's going to eat. All my dog's going to eat. But I wanted to take it into the hypothetical space, a space we're quite familiar with ourselves. We love to go on tangents, rants, and just dive as deep into any hypothetical we can get into. So we're now owners of a club, or maybe we're an agent for a player. What type of clauses are we putting in to get the most out of the contract? Earlier, we mentioned a lot of these are player-specific, maybe country-specific. I think there's got to be an obvious one for any players in really cultural German cities, you know, where the Bavarian beer flows from the taps, where the beer cheese flows like fondue, where there's no such thing as a pretzel too big for one's mouth. (laughs) So in that case, if I'm a Bayern Munich technical director, it would be pretty standard for me just to have a quota clearly stated, maybe the same for each player just to keep it simple, but... A maximum amount of brats you can have, cheese you can consume, denominated in liters, and probably limited to one of those boots of beer per week because, frankly, if you're training in the film room, you don't need that much beer. There's not enough time. And lastly, probably just a time limit on how much time you spend at Oktoberfest, not to mention like outfit criteria. You can't be too promiscuous as a player going to Oktoberfest. If we see you in the Hofbra house with... Two big jugs of beer? What do they call them? Are they boots? I think so. <laughs> if we see you in the Hofbra house with two boots of beer, we got issues. We might have to terminate some fucking contracts in this bitch. Cause <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you better hope that you've been performing above expectation. Because if not, we put these clauses in here for more surreptitious reasons as well. We look for any little area of default we can find just to terminate the whole contract if you're a shit player. Yeah, especially if you're a bench guy and you're just pounding brats and beer every weekend. We can't be having that. We got to limit it. But I got to say, we can't cut it out completely because especially these homegrown German guys, it's not going to fly. No, and you can't take the risk of playing with the cuisine that got them here. It's probably not too far to say that 20% of their calories come from beer cheese, brats, and spotten. There's a minimum amount. It's acceptable. But once we start triggering some excessive thresholds, people are getting cut. Absolutely. I love this clause 100% going in if we ever own a German club, which quite likely in our current financial situation. I got another one I want to throw at you. The grab the rock clause. This just means absolutely no celebrating when we're down still. If you score and we're still down 3-2, you better not do an east side. You better not do a thing. You're grabbing that rock. You're sprinting to center field. And with your arms, you're just waving like you're bringing the boys to war. We're going to the trenches. You're just waving them. We're going to get another goal. We're equalizing. No time wasted on celebrations. No semblance of excessive, jubilant behavior. You are a Puritan as far as we're concerned. You beeline for the ball. You grab it. And you look around, like you say, making eye contact with as many teammates as possible. Just affirming to each other your intent. To tie up this game, who knows? Rip off the ultimate smash and grab. Get another two goals. Get the three points. Get out of there. No celebrations if you score a goal and your state of play didn't change at all. You're still losing. I don't care. It's like it comes back to the Arsenal situation we talked about a few weeks ago where 
number one in the Premier League for knee slides, but didn't even finish in the top four. That's something that's not going to happen at my club. Absolutely not. We're not knee sliding when we're down. We're getting the fuck back, yo. One more clause that I think is really near and dear to your heart that I want to run us through before we wrap this up and put a bow on it. The Neil Mopay clause. Now, I envision this to be similar to the no biting clause, which was put in place for Luis Suarez at Liverpool. But Neil Mopay committed an assault on the field against Burnley. And we can't have that happening again. It's bad for the brand at Brighton. It's got to be in there. It's got to be in there somewhere. Next contract he signs, we need that clause. And we need it specifically titled in Neil Mopay's contract, the Neil Mopay clause. So he knows that he has spawned this clause that will be used in many a contract going forward. And he knows that he's the titular character. Yeah, can you give context for the, the situation? Yeah, so if I, if I have to go back in the dark areas of my memory to that fateful day, Neil Mopay contesting a 50-50 with Eric Peters in attempting to draw a foul and win his team possession, he committed what we've only described as a violent, malicious act and shoved his finger as far as he could in the butt area of the Dutch left wing back Peters. As soon as it happened, we knew this was a shameful act that brought disrepute upon not only the Premier League, but Brighton. Just like Luis Suarez, one erratic act can really tarnish a club's reputation. I think we need to make it clear to him and also any of his teammates that you can't push it. There's no digging for gold in your opponents or your teammates' boondas. It's just not allowed. We can't condone assault, right? No. We're Brighton, we have a, a good image right now. Can't tarnish that. So I think that's enough bullshitting on some clauses we would implement as sporting directors, owners, and also some of the... Key points we love from this book, Done Deal. Highly recommend you read it if you want to learn a little bit more about the law side, the contracts, the transfers, and all the nuances with it. Great read. Go check it out. But I think we're going to wrap this up, and we appreciate you guys listening for another week. And hopefully we're going to keep doing this because we're always reading something. And often there's just so many random tidbits that warrant further exploration. So that's what we're going to keep doing. This was the first rendition. There'll be more to come. In the summer of fun. Yeah, a lot more one-offs in the summer, so we're looking forward to it. All right, thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.